Hey guys, I'm your host, Mimi Brown, and you're listening to Becoming Dope. They see me rolling, they hating, patrolling and trying to catch me riding dirty, trying to catch me riding dirty. Grammy award-winning musician Chameleonaire is joining me. You may remember him from his multi-platinum single, Riding Dirty, but after more than a decade of success in the music industry, he's switching gears. He's now turned his attention to the tech world and invested in more than 40 companies, including Lyft, Ring, Maker Studio, Cruise Automation, which sold to General Motors for more than a billion dollars. But before we dive into all of that, Cam, thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. Absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. So I want to talk to you because, like I told you, I think that you are like literally one of the dopest people I've ever met. And I feel like people have no idea the levels of your dopeness. So, like, I, but I that. do, I want to start, I want to take it back to the beginning, um, t- take it back to Houston. All right. I want to know... You know the beginning like how you grew up what life was like all of that um so yeah definitely i'm from houston texas and you know um i grew up just like any other kid waking up every day going out playing basketball felt like i was gonna go to the nba you know me and my brothers we used to argue we used to fight all the time i mean i didn't consider it a dysfunctional household to me it was just normal you know people now see me and they see me like get in an argument with somebody and they'll be intense mm-hmm. and they're like shocked about that but in my life that was like every day you know we used to argue about sports we used to argue about who had the the best uh left jab you know we used to argue about everything and um you know that competitive nature kind of fueled a lot of the um things that i got involved with you know uh, mm-hmm. when i played basketball i realized i wasn't as fast or as tall as i wanted to be so uh the dream of trying to be an nba player kind of started fading but uh the practice never stopped you know i always mm-hmm. just went out and did that and it kept me out of a lot of trouble um, I was real good at doing art, mm-hmm. so um, I had the talent of like being able to draw somebody. I could draw anybody with Prismacolors, map colors, paint, whatever, and wow. it, it would look just like you. So that's one thing pe- I do that people don't know, but I grew up doing that, drawing pictures. And uh, early when I, in my rap career, I started drawing covers and albums for mm-hmm. the Swisher House, which is a rap group that me and my friend Paul Wall at the time got involved with. And uh, me and Paul's relationship goes way back because me and him, we, like, grew up in the, on the same street. Okay. And, um, you know, I felt like me and him had a connection because it was just something about his life and, you know, that I felt like I, mine was missing. You know, he had uh, parents that just, you know, they didn't have have it all, mm-hmm. but they, 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 they had, like, uh, I don't know, it was, like, little things. Like, they would uh, tuck him in before he went to sleep. You know, they would... Uh, uh, one time I went and sat down and we were eating dinner at his house mm-hmm. and then we're about to get up and his mother's like, hold up, you know, time for dessert. And we're like, dessert? <laughs> like, it was just little things like that. We're like, wow, this is amazing. Like, you know? <laughs> so uh, over time, you know, we just started gelling well. And he was a white kid, you know? And right. me and my boys, you know, all of us were black. And um, he would always come around and people would be looking like, man, who's this white dude, mm-hmm. you know? And it got to a point where we was like, that's our partner, you know? Mm-hmm. So um, that kinship kind of grew, and then eventually we started rapping. And, you know, when I started rapping, he started rapping too. When we first started foraying into the mixtapes, mm-hmm. we didn't really know. People didn't really like Houston screwed music. It was not mm-hmm. cool to people. They didn't like it. So um, I actually didn't even like it. Paul liked it more than me. I thought it was it was just, it didn't sound good. Mm-hmm. But um, when I started jumping on freestyles, then I started appreciating when the music was slowed, how people could really hear everything and there was something mysterious about it because at the time when your voice is screwed it sounds a lot deeper than it is now so people used to see me and 
think that I was like 10 feet tall. Everybody would be like, man, I thought you were big. It's because the voice just felt so menacing, you know? Mm -hmm. And it was something about those mixtapes that was just like an element of danger that traveled all across the uh, country and kids just started like gravitating to it. And then next thing you know, me and Paul become really popular. And then after that, we just started winning everything. We we put out an independent album and sold more than anybody. We uh, started getting nominated for best new group or something in the source at the time. Mm -hmm. We got... Um, you know, just a lot of stuff started happening, and after that, that kind of transcended into the mixtapes, uh, mixtape empire, and mm -hmm. um, you know the major label deals and all that. You know, mm -hmm. your mixtape game, the way you promoted yourself, was trailblazing. Like, talk to me about that process and how you did that. Um, a lot of it was just trial and error. I think the number one thing that separates a lot of people uh, that are successful from others is the lack of fear. First, I'm not saying you're not scared, but you gotta wanna take a chance if you don't just try then you're never gonna succeed some people just sit there and think of ideas all day but because we didn't have a lot of resources and we were pushed with our backs against the wall not having much money and had to survive it forced us to have to go out and do stuff and that over and over started being like all right let's get creative and think up new ways some people are like hey we can't do that and i'm more the person that's like all right i know nobody's done that but let's think of a way to try to do it you know, I'm always on that side because I feel like anything's possible because I've seen impossible happen all the time. That's kind of the reason why I like sports because, you know, I don't have a favorite player, favorite team for me, anything. People be like, oh, you, you like too many big players it's because I like seeing impossible happen. You know, that person that started with nothing and grew all the way to be one of the greatest players and hits that last second shot, that makes me feel like impossible is possible. And I watch it for that motivation, you know, mm -hmm. not because of the individual or like starstruck or something like that. Mm -hmm. So I feel like with the mixtapes, we're being creative. We started coming up with creative ways to market things. And people would be like, man, how did you think of that? Like, that's genius. It's just like we just throwing stuff at the wall. And then when you see what sticks, then you're like, OK, this works. Like perfect example is the reason why I knew Riding Dirty was going to be pretty big is because um well, not knew it was going to be big. I just knew my audience was going to like it. Mm -hmm. It's because um, when I used to put out all these mixtapes, and when I throw out mixtapes, I put 10 songs on there, and I'm rapping on other people's beats. So I'm mm -hmm. picking beats that are, like, dope, that are you already like, and remixing the songs. And if I can do that really good, people tend to like that. So what happens is I put out a mixtape, and then I go perform the songs, and when I start performing them, one song, everybody's really excited about the crowd's going crazy, but the rest of them is crickets. Okay. So I don't like that feeling of people sitting there like they don't like it. So the next mixtape, I start moving it and catering it towards the records that uh, people liked. And then that's how you start to hone in on what people like, you know. And then, you know, as you put out more mixtapes, people start to like them. And the one thing I realize is that a lot of people are okay with just being average, mm. you know. And I was like, if we're average, we're just going to be like all these other humans mm. that just walk up the street and ignoring each other. Like, you got to stand out. You know how there's some person that walks in and they got that, like, red fedora and they just like, who is this? Dude? Like, they just stand out. Like, mm -hmm. you got to be that when you're a rapper. So at the time, now everybody's got the gold teeth. But at that time, we were doing, people looking at us like, what the heck? But we stood out. So now the reason why I don't do that is because everybody else does it. It's like, you got to know how to cut through all of the noise. And we were good at that. It was yeah. already screwed music. It was already, you know, we were saying some of the most witty punchlines at the time when people weren't doing all that balling rap like that. Then we were just young and, like, had money, and people were just like, where, where did these dudes come from, you know? Mm -hmm. Flamboyant with the jewelry, all that type of stuff. And, you know, and we had our own culture. We had the cars, and it's just all those things meshed well together with a good uh, work ethic and good marketing. We used to, like, think real smart and, like, drive to cities and drop off CDs and drive to the next city and drop off CDs and come back. Like, you know, a week later with money in our pocket because we, we refused to not come back until we had money in our pocket. Your brother yeah. 
wanted to be a rapper. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And it was him, basically, that, like, influenced you. Well, the way it was is, at first it was me and Paul, and then I have friends that rap with us, too. Mm -hmm. But my brother always wanted to rap, too, and it was just something about him that I felt like he had um, the want more than me. I was just good at it, you know? Um, I never really wanted to be famous. I feel like I'm just a person that just wanted to make, you know, dots connect and make money. Mm -hmm. Somehow I thought I'd be rapping forever and I ended up going into tech and all this other stuff. And now I'm just like shocked that I'm here. People be shocked at me that I'm here. I'm shocked too. You know, <laughs> I'm like, you know, I, I well, that's all the, this. Okay, wait, because I'm getting ahead of myself. But that's the thing. Like, people are shocked to hear that about you. Yeah. Like, I feel like people sometimes think maybe you fell off. Yeah. They have no idea what you're doing. Does that bother you at all? Every rapper, you put them in this, mic, this seat and ask them this question. They're going to say, no, that doesn't bother me. And I'm not going to say anything different because truly, I really mean this. No, it doesn't. Mm -hmm. This is the reason why. The reason why is because um, it's something, it's like having your own little secret weapon. You know what I'm saying? Like when you, when you see somebody and they be like, ah, that dude, you just kind of laugh to yourself. And I just kind of chuckle like, if only you knew. Yeah. You know, I know that there's a confidence in knowing that I could embarrass you. I could make you feel bad. I could tell you how much money. I could open my bank account and show it to you and make you feel really stupid. But I don't think like that. Mm -hmm. I don't do that. But knowing that you could is like a little power, you know. Mm -hmm. So if I think if things were the other way and my career didn't go as well and I didn't make as much money, maybe that would probably hurt me more. Mm -hmm. But because I know there's really no truth to it, it doesn't really hurt me as much as people think. Mm -hmm. But even if it was the other way, um, I feel like over the years you kind of got to grow a thick skin, especially if you're going to be in the entertainment world. People are going to say all kind of crazy stuff to you. And then the stuff that people say when they hide behind anonymity is so strong. Like, And I think the problem is that a lot of entertainers and rappers they hear those voice voices which is the vocal minority mm -hmm. and it seems like everybody's saying that but the world is big there are billions of people here and it's not the consensus across the world there's a lot of people that don't even know you exist mm -hmm. so if you really just keep that mentality and go about life like that then it makes stuff a lot easier i just really got to a point you know at some point where i just started maturing and realizing that and then everything just stopped started affecting me differently i told you like how i think about my grammy I, every time i tell people my real thoughts in my head they're just shocked because, Tell me your real thoughts in your head again. No, nah, it's just like the Grammy, we, we go and we win this Grammy, and everybody's competing to try to get it, and they're, like, mad when they don't get it. But I'm just, I look at it as it's like a piece of metal, mm -hmm. a piece of metal that somebody sculpted together to try to tell you you're amazing. And then it's not like, you know, like, it's subjective stuff, you know what I'm saying? It's not like there's some exact rule, like God anointed you to win the Grammy. It's like, you know, you can still be great without that. So I never had a dream of trying to win a Grammy. So the minute I got one, I just stared at it. And I'm looking at it like, this is what people want? Mm -hmm. Like, it's just, how did they convince us that this is what, what matters, you know? How did they convince us all these things when we was going on the road and we was making it rain in strip clubs? How did they convince us that's what we're supposed to be doing? Mm -hmm. You know, how did they convince us that, you know, as a celebrity, you're supposed to be on this hierarchy above people and the word celebrity means you're better than everybody else. I'm supposed to walk in with the shades and just look like I'm better. Like, that to me is like, I think about that type of stuff and I'm just rethink, relearning everything that they taught you and then you realize how dumb all the stuff is that they tell you. Mm -hmm. So now, you know, why am I even getting anywhere near upset about somebody else that is on the other side of the planet that is reaching out through the internet to say some stuff about me to try to, you know, I'm not going to give you my power. Like, who is you? I look at them like, you're beneath me because you're doing that. I wouldn't, I can't think of anybody in the world that I went under their comments and said something crazy. Like, I've never done it in my life because mm -hmm. it's not my thing. Like, why? If you don't like somebody, move on. Don't you know, so it's like, 
to me it's more about it says more about them than me you know mm -hmm. so when i see artists get affected by that i can't uh i can't say that i'm like superhuman i get why they do it but i just think that to me it's like i got to a point where i'm just like man it's, none of this stuff matters yeah. i asked you for a few pictures yeah pictures yeah from younger days from yeah. the younger days and you told me that your house burned down yeah what what happened yeah so the childhood home that i grew up in um that was the one where i lived up the street from paul Mm -hmm. um, one day, somebody called me. He was like, "Yo, your house is burning down." You know, I was like, "What? What you mean?" It's like the house your dad's at. It's burning down. I went over there and I actually stood outside and watched it burn to the ground. Like, I mean, neighbors was out there. It's crazy. I was just like, I was like, asked my dad, like, "What happened?" And he was just, he told me like some story of what happened. And you know, I was just like, "All right." What did you know? he say happened? Uh, he said, I think it was like a child or something doing something. You know, you know, messing with something like socket or I don't know something happened mm -hmm. he felt like that happened so anyways house burns down and then at the point I you know I was like okay give my dad some money you know take care of whatever because at the time I'm like you know you're familiar yeah, yeah yeah for sure uh -huh. so then and, and keep in mind we didn't we don't talk a lot you know mm -hmm. so at that moment it was just watching that moment happen but you're thinking everything that's in there like mm -hmm. I didn't keep picture everything's in there <laughs> mm -hmm. it's crazy because you know I left that home and my, my mom and my dad divorced, so I went to my mother's house, and my mother is the one that lived in the, you know, the hood, you okay. know. She was in an efficiency condominium that's probably about as big as this room right here, okay. you know, and we lived in there together, and it was like shootings happened, it was all kind of crazy stuff, so the juxtaposition of like where my dad stayed versus my mother, I was back and forth. That's kind of how I feel like I got both sides, you know, okay. because my, we weren't, uh, I wouldn't consider us middle class, but we we're in a middle class area at the time. You know, we were poor, I think, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know. Like, I remember, you know, just, I used to be, like, real skinny when I was younger. We didn't eat, you know, like, right. We, you know, eat cereal for dinner, stuff like that type mm -hmm. stuff, you know. But they tried hard, though. That's one thing I know is my parents worked, worked really hard. So that's the one thing that I pulled from them. But when I went to my mother's side and I was just over there, it just used to be so much crazy stuff. I used to have to jump this fence. And then my homeboy would be out there, like, doing what he does on the corner. You know, he'd have his dog out there. And he'd always, like, stop me, like, yo, what's up, man? i just, like, keep walking, you know, because... I just knew what they were doing, you know? Mm -hmm. And um, going through that hallway every day and seeing them is just like at some point you just like, man, what? Like, I think most people make the wrong turn and then end up doing what they're doing. Right. But I was just like more focused on getting up out of there. You told me a story once about, um, I think something about you, someone was looking for you or you thought they were, they, you thought they were looking for you and you, they went to the next door oh, yeah that's yeah yes so that story was uh one day i was i used to promote and pass out flyers and i was coming home and in the a condo in the efficiency condominiums where we lived there's like we're on the third floor so you had to go through this hallway and then you had to go up these stairs to get to where i stayed and um when i was on the way into the hallway uh, i saw the door open up and somebody stuck his head out and he had a ho hoodie on Mm -hmm. So then he closed the door real quick right before I went in. So I immediately like, uh, you know, took off my watch, tucked in my chain and then just walked in. And then I see three guys with hoodies on and uh, I look at them and give them the heads up nod, you know, and then none of them nod back. So then at that moment, I'm like, all right, like I know what this is, you know. So I immediately like when I get to the top of the stairs, I'm like running real quick. And I run all the way into the uh, room. I open the door. Uh, I close the door and I look at the peephole and I just see them. Choo, 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 choo going past so it's like they were waiting i guess they're waiting i might have caught them off guard they was about to do something to somebody 
And then I just, my heart was beating fast. But um, then eventually in the morning, the police came knocking like real hard. Boom, 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 boom. I was like, yo, did you hear uh, gunshots last night? And I was like, what? And it was like, yeah, I opened the door. I look, my next door neighbor, the door's open. It's like blood all over the whole thing. Mm. Red, yellow, you know, yellow tape, like next door neighbor got killed. Mm. And I'm just like, and I'm just thinking about that moment, the time that it happened and everything. And I was like right there. So the, I the crazy thing, that's when my, like my relationship with police was kind of tainted at that time because they didn't really care about, they were just going through the motions to try to ask the questions, but, to ask, but they didn't really care about no details. Mm -hmm. You know, I probably could have told them a lot, but you know, I think that uh, they just left. And I'm thinking, like, man, they're not here to protect us. I'm still here. And what if they were trying to get me? You know, like, I don't know who what they was doing. When y'all asked me earlier, like, some of the stuff, I wouldn't take none of the stuff back. I really wouldn't because, like, I almost got killed, like, three times. And to me, that's the thing that made me feel like, man, I'm supposed to be here. Yeah. So I would never take it back. That feeling of, like, I remember getting jumped by, like, like 40 people. What? People always talk about, yeah, wait till I wait till I see him. I wish they would. I'm going to do like you never really been in a fight when you really, really get in a fight. Right. In real life, everything you thought was going to happen, don't happen. You know, you, you start running out of breath. It's like, oh, I thought I was going to hit him with the jab. And mm -hmm. it's just like it's, it's not like that in real life. Mm -hmm. And um, when I escaped that untouched, I was shocked. Like, how did this happen? It, it's not supposed to happen. All because one guy was trying to get my chain. And he convinced a whole bunch of other people to jump, and then it just it just it ended up being a world. Other people I didn't even know just started jumping in, and it was crazy. And what somehow, was this? like a concert, it was outside or... of a club. Wow, you know, it's actually somebody I used to know. You know, um, I, I went to school with him, mm -hmm. and um, my, again, my mother being so nice, she allowed him to come uh, stay with us. And but that's the other thing. I was like, you know, I don't mind, but one day I show up, and my boy, who I know, is staying at my house. Yeah, my, your mom said I could stay with y'all. Like. <laughs> when are you going to say something to me? You know what I'm saying? I'm like, Mom, why are you doing that? You know, she's like, oh, well, he had this problem with his dad, blah, blah, blah. And I was just like, all right, whatever. So now he's in my house, which we already live in a small place, apartment. Mm -hmm. And then, I mean, it's everything. At the time, juvenile and hot boys, as I used to be really into the hot boys. Like, he was, Mercedes was gone. Yeah. He was, you know, clothes was missed. I was like, what's going on? So I, I got past all that. But then one day, my sister had, you know, uh, you know, accused him of something. And then after that, nothing else you need to say he came back all his clothes outside get out you know because i just know my sister wouldn't lie about something like that you know yeah yeah wow. so uh then after that um you know i met him we we're outside of a, a comedy club and then he wanted to like get revenge or something like that and all his friends were gassing up to come and fight me and i was just like you know you don't want to do this and then somehow he just tried to and then at the end of it it ended up with all of them in handcuffs and i was just like not in handcuffs and i was just like their shirts were ripped and i was just like how the heck did i avoid that like if i ever showed up with somebody yeah. with 40 people to jump it's them over. it's gonna be bad yeah. you know so i don't understand how i ended up on the right side of that but there's so many moments in my in my life where stuff like that happened where i'm just like i go home and just look in the, at the in the mirror like like what the heck this guy looking at yeah yeah for sure God looking out. So let's talk about what you're doing now, the transition to tech. Um, I feel like I was always a tech entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. I was always into tech. I had one of the biggest websites of any artist. I used to do, like, you know, a lot of just social stuff like that. Um, so then when the transition started happening and everybody started moving onto the World Wide Web and everybody started using mobile devices, it was kind of an easy transition for me, and I was already curious about it. So when the music industry was getting cannibalized by all these tech companies, I started going to tech conferences because of my curiosity and need to want to learn stuff. And then that's when I 
you know, just this whole new world was unveiled to me. You know, it was like, wow, you mean to tell me billions of dollars, people are investing all this money in other companies and building them up and people are doing all these tricky growth hacks to make you uh, addicted to your phone. And it was just so much stuff that was just so interesting. And I was just like, I'm in. I just dived in. I started going to conferences. I started connecting with people. And then one thing led to me advising for a company. Fast forward, that company got bought by Google. And that's how I really got into tech. And then I started investing after that. I invested in my first one, and luckily that one won. And then I invested in my second one, and then that one won. Then I invested in my third one, and that one won. And I just looked back in the mirror and was like, what, what's going on? Like, mm -hmm. it keeps happening. Mm -hmm. You know, it's just something about your gut that'll just lead you in the right direction when you follow it. So that's what I started doing. Mm -hmm. And then it just, mm -hmm. you know, I don't know. Um, you said something to me about being in those rooms. Yeah. And, you know, they're handing out these mo this money and no one looks like you. No one looks like us. Yeah. You know, you wanted to make it your mission to kind of, you know, enlighten yeah. us that there's more than basketball. There's more than rapping. Yeah. I'm going to talk about that. Uh, it goes back to that place I told you where I came from. It's like you see so many people that didn't make it out, that passed or got killed or ended up in jail or just still in that same place, right? Mm -hmm. And you feel a certain way because you're one of them. You come from that soil. So now when you come to this Willy Wonka's world of nothing but success and all this money, you're like, man, what the heck? You feel away mm -hmm. because it's been around before I ever knew about it. People have been doing this for decades before I ever learned about it, and I feel like that's unfair. Mm -hmm. And then when I go in there and I see all these people celebrating and all this money and their children's children's got money and this kid is managing $20 million and he's 20 something years old and it's like what the heck man I'm not saying that you don't deserve that I'm saying that why can't we uh, give some of this information to the people that don't have this information Absolutely. and it feels like there's nobody really trying to do it there's maybe some but I, I, I didn't see them I, I, I found all this stuff on cha by chance Yeah. and then I was just like okay I'm going to make it my thing to kind of just tell people you know because what's the harm in that mm -hmm. I'm learning and as I learn it I just drop it off to people if you're there listening cool if not so be it but Nobody can't say I'm not putting the information out there. Mm -hmm. But I think what people respect most is the example. You could talk all day, but when they see you do it, when they see you win, then people respect it more. So I think uh, a lot of those things aligning, me making good investments that actually won, plus me talking, is now making people pay attention to the talking. You're actually really passionate about that. You you told me this story. Um, you were at a I conference. I told you a lot of stories. You man. told me a lot of stories. <laughs> uh, but you told me the story about you were at a tech conference and you pulled MC Hammer to the side. Oh, yeah. Why? Uh, Tell yeah, so them that's me it. and Hammer, like everyone, when I went to tech, everybody kept talking about MC Hammer everywhere. I'm like, why does everybody keep talking about MC Hammer? But he was like prominent in tech at the time. He was like investor in Twitter or something like that. And I started going to um, tech conferences, and then I finally found him. And I was like, pulled him to the side, and I was like, Yo, man, how come you're not telling everybody? I like started arguing with him, and he was like, What? And then next thing you know, we got into this. Uh, it wasn't an argument, but it was just like, you know. It was it was it was a lot of uh, disagreeing, you know. Mm -hmm. And then we finally, after uh, about an hour into the conversation, started like agreeing on a lot. And he's, I, when I heard his perspective on things, and basically he was just like, you know, he's tried to give this information and game to a lot of people, but a lot of times people just don't listen. Mm -hmm. You know, I felt like at that moment it felt like he was uh, he was he was not not giving up, but he was just like, you know what, I, I can't keep wasting my energy on people that just don't want the don't want this information. And I was I had told him like, yo man, somebody got to be Mr. Miyagi. You know, when you always teach people how to wax on and wax off, there's always value for you, you know. So at that moment, I was just like, yeah, all right, I'm, I'm going to be Mr. Miyake, you know, mm -hmm. because, you know, I was I was hoping since me and him both come from the music industry at some point before he ever made it into this big, successful person that's in tech, because he is, to me, successful and in tech. 
um, that he would have found his way to the young people trying to, you know, make their way to this world. So I found it by chance. And then when I got there, I was like, all right, I believe that we should be doing this. And then imagine me saying that to him and then not doing that. Yeah. So I was just like, nah, I'm, I'm going to go out there and do it, you know. And mm-hmm. since then, I, me and him have spoke on panels together. It's like, you know, <laughs> it's crazy. Like, I, And I, it's, it's, it's also interesting how people can hold you in this box. I know when people think of MC Hammer, they think about this career. Like, I don't even think about that stuff no more. Yeah. I think about him in tech. I know... What about for people? Because there's a lot of people who, you know, maybe they're interested in tech, but they just don't know how to get into tech. Like, yeah. what advice would you give them? What's the best way to start? Yeah, so there's so many different layers, man. There's there's tech companies, there's startups, there's venture capital, there's advising, there's, you know, just products, there's marketing, there's so much. So it's hard to just tell everybody, hey, this is where you go. But what you have to do is start with what you're passionate in. Anything you're doing, you start with your passion. And you figure that out first because I think a lot of people don't even know that, mm-hmm. you know. Um, then when you do that, then there are websites like I tell people like a uh, easy way to do it is go to producthunt.com. You know, I promote them a lot. I'm not an investor in them. But, mm-hmm. you know, when you go there, there's, there's all these products that people are launching and people will upvote each product. Uh, based off of how they feel about it and people will comment about a lot of products so each week they'll release all these new different products so you can just get a sense of the type of things that people are creating you'll hear founders talking about what they created and what problem they're trying to solve and it's kind of like uh, a cliff notes way of getting in to see what you're excited about and then that'll lead you to other places like TechCrunch and Recode and you know there's just so many other tech websites where they're just posting you know if you're African American I always send people to blavity.com and Afrotech and you know uh, there's a lot of things that uh, African Americans are doing in the tech world that are being highlighted by platforms like this mm-hmm. but most people you know they, they say oh I don't know where it's at but when I search I see this stuff come up so quick and I'm thinking like man are we really okay. educated on how to look you know because <laughs> Some of the stuff, people are like, yo, man, I need to make a pitch deck, man. I, I've been trying to make a pitch deck for three years. I know, how, and I, I could search how to make a pitch deck. And they're like, the, the places I would send you, slidebean.com, it comes up first. And I'm like, is this just my computer? Or, you know, so, and, and they got tutorials. They got everything, you know. Yeah. So I feel like information is just, you got to want it, you know. Yeah. And if, I know there's a lot of noise out there, but you'll be able to sift through it. After you go through 10, you'll be able to see, all right, like three of these BS, you know. Yeah. And I think that. You know, um, I'm I'm just trying to encourage that uh, curiosity in people, you know, and, and showing them the reward. Because if they don't see the reward, people don't want to go do that. What about people who they want to invest and don't have a lot of money? Yeah. Can they still? Um, I have a portfolio company called Republic, uh, republic.co. I tell people to go to that website. Mm-hmm. And I tell people, don't even... Don't even invest. Like, if you don't know what to invest or what investing is about, you should not be investing. Mm-hmm. You know, you should be trying to figure out what investing means. So I tell people, just go, sign up for their mailing list, and just get their emails and just listen and read, mm-hmm. you know. And you'll get a lot of information that will kind of, like, steer you in the right direction to see if this is right for you. Mm-hmm. But most importantly, investing means spending what you can afford to lose, mm-hmm. you know. And you got to understand that. Some people say, oh, well, I don't got money to invest. We all, whether it's a dollar five dollars ten dollars twenty dollars like got something that we li- we lose we buy things all the time that society didn't told us that we're supposed to buy uh valentine's day black friday they got you buying all kind of stuff that they you know tricked you into like thinking it's cheaper and you know we, we don't have no problem with that but that same money can be spent on investing in something that potentially could get you a return I'm because sorry. we spend money on things that do not get us nothing but it gives us some kind of like validation from people or we feel like we're cool so that's the reward yeah but if you want a monetary reward you got to spend it on something that potentially can make money back and i feel like uh republic is a good place to go 
uh, to at least start the journey. Um, that's the main place I'll tell people. There's other platforms like AngelList, um, but that's more uh, for sophisticated, uh, accredited investors. Mm-hmm. And I feel like most people out there are non-accredited, you know. And um, I feel like, uh, you know, if, you, if you're just trying to get in and you're just trying to get the information, just focus on going to a different blogs, signing up for their mailing list, and reading. And then when you get a little bit more confidence, then you'll kind of, like, be ready to invest, you know. Mm-hmm. Speaking of that, we have um, a listener who has a question for you. Hey, Chameleonaire, a big fan. Um, uh, my name is Rajay Kumar. Um, I develop games on the side, uh, especially you know educational games that are actually fun where you come away learning something from the experience. But um, living here in LA, you know, it's the entertainment capital of the world. We have a lot of um, talented game developers here. And I was wondering, what are your thoughts on the idea of you know developers and other people in the game and entertainment industry working together and having some sort of synergy where you know, um, someone might have one skill, the other one doesn't. One guy's really good at program, one guy's good at art. What if they work together to make their ideas, their dreams come true? And also, what are your thoughts on um, people also coming together to kind of vent their frustrations and kind of collectively work together to improve their conditions and also improve the industry as a whole? I'd love to hear your opinion on that. Thank you so much. Oh, man, that's a good question. Uh, loaded question, but a good one. <laughs> um, I think that, um, Man, that really just boils down to what I believe the key to success is in any industry. Um, I think the power of information and relationships is underappreciated by a lot of people. And the first part, when you talked about everybody kind of getting together mm-hmm. to um, join forces to kind of you know solve problems, that's what great companies are. There are a lot of people that are from different worlds with different experience and different domain expertise that are all uniting on one vision to build something incredible yeah right and think about all the people that are at facebook to build that thing it's not just mark zuckerberg think about all the people that are at salesforce or any of these other big companies some leader or some head of the voltron convinced a lot of other people to join on this mission and they all use their special uh, x-men or x-women talents to build this great thing so the the the, the part that kind of gets me is that um a lot of people don't um appreciate the art in um figuring out how to become that, uh, a model of that, and then also they give up in that process. So perfect example is, um, you know, a lot of us go out to events and we'll meet people. And when you get that business card, do you ever really reach out to that person again and stay in touch with them? Like a lot of people don't. Most people don't. They end up as, you know, in your car somewhere, a coaster or something like that. And um, that itself, every single person listening to this can do that. You don't even have to be at a conference to do that. You could be at a coffee shop and ask somebody, hey, get their phone number, talk to them, and communicate with them. And that builds a network which people start, especially when they get to know you and they feel like you have something special, then they start wanting to see you succeed. They start wanting to connect things from you and a lot of times even wanting something from you. And that can be valuable. So I think when you foster that, that network thing, then it leads to you partnering with people to do great things. So the game community, a lot of them have a lot in common, but then on the other side, is also a lot of people that are very competitive. Mm-hmm. You know, everybody's trying to win. Everybody's trying to gamify everything. And I, I see that um, a lot of companies that have really are success that are successful in that industry are like they're like robots. They mm-hmm. think like, like very transactional. And sometimes you have to add just like human common sense to it. And I think that's missing sometimes. You know, like okay, we're gonna do this at this time. We're gonna give you a coin to make you stay on the game forever. And sometimes you gotta just be like, yo, go out and talk to some kids and see if they like this. You know, <laughs> you know. And I feel like once you start to build your network, those things that you're not as strong in, you start to get people that are strong in those, mm-hmm. and then you start to be more well-rounded. You know, mm-hmm. like that's 
ultimately what I'm doing here. Mm-hmm. I didn't get here by myself. There's a lot of people along the way to help me, but I was able to figure out and look in the mirror and say, okay, this is the talent that I have. I'm going to try to foster these other ones, but these are the areas where I'm weaker in. Yeah. And I would find people that could fill in those gaps. Yeah. I don't code. I've never coded in my life. But I built a website that was super successful. I broke the ringtone record. I freaking, you know, built a social video. Alec, how did I do that? Other people. You know, so I think the people in the game industry have to know how to do that. And everybody today, I don't care what business you're trying to do. If you master that art, that is the art of relationships. Then the other part is just information. There's somebody out there that's winning because they have more information than you right now. Absolutely. And I can't let you go without talking to you about combos really quick. Yeah, for sure. Your app. Tell me how and why you started it. Um, I started it just because I was working with other companies and advising for them at first and thinking that I was going to just be messing with some other company and advising for them. But then I realized, you know, founders have their own vision for companies. Mm -hmm. And sometimes they'd go in a direction I think is great, Mm -hmm. and then they'd make a left turn and go somewhere else. And it's like, well, this is their vision. And I was waiting for somebody to come and build some platform that just looked at social differently. Mm -hmm. You know, you got... I've been using social for a long time since Black Planet, MySpace, whatever, right? All of those. And one thing that's <laughs> never changed is the, the the trolling, the abuse, the negative comments, the toxicity that happens. And it's mm-hmm. like everybody always says, oh, this is social. It's like, why? Mm-hmm. Nobody's at least trying to solve. We got some smart people out here that are shooting rockets to the moon. Mm-hmm. And this thing about how do we encourage people to have more of a productive dialogue, we can't, we can't solve that. So I was waiting for something to come. A lot of things didn't come. And I was just like, all right. You know, one thing led to another. I became an entrepreneur in residence at a VC firm. And then when they asked me what I want to do, I was like, I mean, this is what I want to do. And mm-hmm. I'm crazy enough to think I could do it. I built a social video app. And you can download it. It's available on iOS and Android right now. And it's it's pretty much just face-to-face communication with people, you know, connecting them through the way a way that's not uh, anonymous. And a lot of things on social, you're able to communicate with people. And you say things that are really negative sometimes because you're hiding behind anonymity. Mm-hmm. You know, and in this world, you kind of got to put your face on it. And I think people tend to be a little bit more cautious with what they say. It's not that you have to agree with somebody, but you're not going super crazy. And the people that are, hey, there's a place for you too. But that doesn't mean that you shouldn't be, uh, that doesn't mean you should be highlighted in somebody's world. Like yeah. let's say if somebody goes to your page and they don't like you and they want to talk all bad about what you're wearing then what happens is you can ignore that person and their friends will retweet them and give them power. Mm. So now people see there's power in doing that and a lot of people follow on to that. It's designed in a way that uh, benefits the person that trolls. Mm. So we're trying to design something in a way that doesn't give them as much power. We're not saying that we're taking away your freedom of speech. We're not saying that you don't have a right to opinion, but the people that are productive and know how to communicate in a civil way, those are the people that end up uh, ruling in the world of combos. And hopefully if I'm able to pull it off, you know, we'll be able to build a big company. But, you know, like I said in the beginning, this is about fear for most people. I'm not scared to try to do stuff. You know, like I didn't even think I'd get this far to build a social app. We got an Android iOS app. We got like Snoop and freaking Shaq and people like that. You know, it's like that. That's amazing, you know. So, you know, I'm going to be on this journey. I'm learning a lot. Built a great team. You know, went out and raised money like that. Like I've done a lot of things that I never would have anticipated doing. And hopefully I can inspire a lot of other entrepreneurs out there to do the same, you know, because now there is another route. It's not just basketball. It's not just rap. They ask me about rap every day. Yo, when you going to rap? When you going to rap? And I don't mind it. But when you think that that's all I can do, then that's where I have a problem because that's not it. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. I'm a man that has a gift with words, mm-hmm. like whether it's rap, whether it's like selling something, whether it's talking in the boardroom and convincing them to invest in me, whether it's trying to convince people to do like, that's what I do. Mm-hmm. You know, and then also I'm not here to entertain people, honestly. Yeah. I never was an entertainer. People think like, oh, he used to. Nope. I was always educating and motivating. That's what I was doing on the music. 
Yeah. If they go back and listen to all the mixtapes every time, you know how people say uh, Kanye be ranting? Like, go back and listen to my mixtapes. I'm doing that like on every mixtape. I'll stop the music sound and just start talking. Just like this. Yeah. Everybody that knows me is like, yo, Cam gonna get in there. He gonna be like, this is me. It's always been like this. So now people are getting it. it, it before they was like, oh, he's preaching. Yeah. Now they're like, oh yeah, he's giving us that game. It's crazy. I've been doing the same exact thing. Yeah. So, you know. You were also singing on some of those mixtapes too, quite as I, I, I know you're thinking this life is really amazing. Well, I mean, we were doing that before. <laughs> I remember people used to be like, shut up. Stop singing. No rapper sings. Like, a lot of this stuff was innovative at uh -huh. the time. Like, I remember the first time I built a website. I remember Slim Thug. Me and him was living in the same neighborhood. He pulled up. And he has these spinning rims. He's the first one in Houston with them spinning dabbing rims. And I was like, what the heck are those? He's like, man, these are these new dabbing rims. And I said, hold up, let me go get my camera. He was like, what you going to get your camera for? I said, I'm finna put this on the internet. He's like, man, you a nerd. He like drove off. <laughs> and I was just like, and but before he ended up making it to the hood, it was already everybody in Dallas knew he had those wheels. And he's like, how does everybody know? I was like, because I put it on this thing called the internet, bro. <laughs> and now when I see him, he's got like more followers on IG than me. He be going, I'm like, I just sit down and look like, bro, you, you didn't even like the internet, man. <laughs> <laughs> now he's like the king. He's he's all commenting under my posts. I just laugh, you know. But that's that's the homie, you know. But love that. yeah, love that, love that. What would you consider your rock bottom moment? People always told me that I compartmentalize things really well. Like I don't remember a lot of bad things that happen. Like because I'm always focused on the good things and focused on that energy. So I remember uh, writing a check and knowing that it wasn't gonna, you know, uh, it, it was gonna bounce. And then knowing I was gonna get the overdraft fees and figuring out what I was gonna do with it, like I used to be the overdraft hustler, like like I used to go into the bank, and be like all right, look, this is about to happen, but you know. And at the time, it was like different with overdraft. Now they like is is way different, but um, I I remember, um, I mean, my mother got cancer. You know, mm -hmm. I, I had told a story online and told everybody. You know, like man, my mother got can like my mother got cancer, and she told me that she didn't want to tell me, mm -hmm. and I'm like why and she's like oh i don't want you know your life so i don't want it like and i was like what mm -hmm. you don't want to tell me something like that because you think i care about all these material things so i like like adjust my whole way of thinking and then i had to spend a lot of money you know because that was an awakening for me because it was just like wait a second what does the average person do when they when somebody gets cancer in their family and the uh you know it's a pre-existing condition or something and they don't pay for it with you know medical expenses and then uh she i mean they just go into debt or they die yeah. And I'm like, what? It's, it's like a, a, a awakening for you. Like, the average person could never spend this, you yeah. know? And then why is it that expensive? You start asking all kind of questions. And luckily, my mother's a survivor now. Mm -hmm. But what if she wasn't? Mm -hmm. Think about all the people out there that don't have that same experience. So it's like you just start you just start focusing on, like, what can I do to win, you know? Yeah. But I had so many moments where it's like, like, I grew up in a household where like it, it was dysfunctional like my dad was like militant yeah. I told you that like he you know it, it's stuff I wouldn't even repeat for you know out of respect for my mom but yeah. you know the things that they see on TV I used to look at TV used to watch like Fresh Prince so we used to watch Martin we used to watch uh, I don't know Gilligan's Island all that stuff back in the day I used to be looking like man this is like a fairy tale like we yeah. don't live like this there's all kind of stuff that happens the dad is not in a good relationship with the mother you know there's abusive stuff there's all kind of stuff going on it's like you know, that was normal for me. So, I mean, mm -hmm. I, could, I could tell you so much. I could tell you, like, I, I talked about three times I almost died. I, I've been in a car wreck where I was stuck in the back of the car. You know, I've been, you know, my next door neighbor got killed. I've been outside a club where people were shooting and the bullets were falling like shells on me, you know, but trying to kill somebody else. Like, I've seen so much that mm -hmm. at some point you just get so desensitized to it. Like, 
you know but now that's what fuels me to not forget about other people because there's other people right now that are living like that right now while you're in your big fancy house and making fun of people on the internet because you got more money than them and you're in a phantom rolls royce there are people right now that are living 10 times worse than i was and it's like man i that, that bothers me I don't think it should be like that, you know. I'm no. not saying that all the rich people should just come save them all, but there should be some people out here that are trying to do something to change and stuff because we can. Yeah. Um, the name of this podcast is Becoming Dope. Becoming Dope. So what's your definition of dope, and do you consider yourself dope? Well, do I consider myself dope? You know what? I think humble is a good trait for anybody to have. I respect people like that. But sometimes you got to say, yeah, you know, you got to let people know that your light shines bright, you know, because especially when you're African-American and you're a person that's not uh, used to being in certain rooms, we got to project that energy. We got to let them know that we could do this, you know, so everybody out there, I think you're all dope. I think everybody has to unlock their dopeness. And to me, that's what dopeness is. Dopeness is confidence. Dopeness is knowing that you might not have all the talents in the world, but we all got one. We all got something that we're great at, unlocking that, getting better at it, pivoting, adjusting, and knowing how to turn that nothing into something. So if you are doing that right now, I think you're dope. And if you're not doing that right now, I think you're going to unlock your dopeness at some point. And that's it. We're wrap. The first episode <laughs> is a wrap. Yeah. Thank you guys for tuning in to this episode of Becoming Dope. As always, you can find us on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, or on our website, becomingdopepodcast.com.